This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Grenolds of dogman.com with Scott Eklund, Chris Fetters, our first venture into live web broadcasting, webcasting, webinar, WebEx, whatever you want to call it. WebEx is actually the product we're using. This will be our first installment. We tried last week with a couple of subscribers just to test thing out, see if we could work out the kinks, but uh, we'll be working out more kinks as we go along today. Again, this is our first one, and hopefully by the time we get two or three of these in the can, the product will be much better, but we will learn as we go along. We also expect this to be a product that will really blow up where we can do these at least once a week, and then if we have breaking news, we can get out here and have an interactive podcast. We can talk back and forth. We can chat back and forth. There's a lot of things that we can do with this product, but we're just going to have to kind of wing it for a little bit, but at the end of the day, you know what it's all about is getting content out to you guys when we do broadcasts like this we're able to talk a little bit more and it means more than just the text and scott you're going to transcribe this meeting when you're done oh yes very much so yeah everybody should just wait or wait around for it Okay. You'll be done by Christmas. So uh, we'll talk first. First of all, you know, this first half hour, we'll talk a lot of football. Hopefully top of the hour, we'll have Aaron Beach, our uh, hoops guy on to talk about the hoops team with the new commit from uh, Cole Bajima out of Linden, Washington. Get him on and we'll talk a little bit of basketball and that last half hour. And we'll talk whatever what's on everybody's mind right now. And no, it's not the coronavirus. It's uh, recruiting. So We'll do a lot of talk about that. And hey, uh, Chris, I first of all, I just wanted to start off. You know, when we look at social media and we're just trying to keep connected to the players. And uh, MJ Ole puts out a tweet of him with a big old axe in his hand, chopping wood. Uh, first impressions when you saw that? Yeah, I don't know if that was him that put it out. I think it was either a friend of his or someone that he was working with. But, um, yeah, it reminded me of my childhood. I split a little bit of wood and cut up some cords in my time. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was kind of a – I don't know if that's a traditional thing you do in the Northwest. Every uh, kid has to kind of go through that uh, passage, that rite of passage. But, uh, yeah, it looked familiar. Still, the first thing I thought was, please put some shoes on, dude. I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around Chris Fetter splitting wood. Let me guess. You're out splitting wood, your dad – you know, Stu's over in the corner with a drink in his hand and a cigar telling you how to do it. Oh, no, 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 no. First, first when you're a kid, your dad does the splitting, you do the stacking. <laughs> That's how that works. I've done, I've done a lot of stacking in my time. And then uh, when I got big enough where I could use a, a, a splitter or wedge ball, whatever you want to call it, I did that. And then, uh, then proceeded to go to the ax from there. Tell, uh, Scott, tell people how big MJ all is. Yeah, he's huge. He's 
probably about six five. Um, we thought he was around six six. Um, three hundred and fifty pounds, I think, is what they have him listed at. And he is a mammoth young man, but he carries it really, really well. Has he got a good chance to start this year? I think so. I think he's got a decent chance. I, I, he's going to be battling with some other guys over there at left guard, but uh, with Luke Wattenberg making the move inside uh, to center, the, he's he's one of the guys they're going to give a, look, a long look to during fall camp. And Chris, when you take a look at the offensive line and you look like a, look at a guy like MJ Ollie, who you would presume would be a start starter, but there's a lot of a lot of talent on that offensive line that most of the football fans out here have never even seen. Well, I don't know. At the end of the year, you got to see guys like Henry Benavalu kind of show up a little bit. And, you know, MJ Ale, for the fact that people haven't really seen him as an offensive lineman yet, he played in every single game on special teams. And when you're at that size playing special teams, you know, you can do some things well. So um, it's interesting, though. I know a lot of people are already kind of penciling, penciling him in at left guard because they expect Lou Wattenberg at center. Uh, Miles Morale will probably have something to say about that. But if Wattenberg does make the move to center, then it certainly feels like MJ Ale has kind of bided his time and done the things that he needs to do to kind of step in there uh, and see what he can do. Just kind of in the same way that uh, Jackson Kirkland kind of did that when he was a retro freshman, had to kind of get thrown in the fire uh, against Auburn. So yeah, MJ Ale, if all things were equal and we didn't, we weren't dealing with the virus and things like that, could he get his first start? Against Michigan, that that could have been a that could have been a definite possibility. May still. And and Scott, when you take a look at the size of an MJ Ale, he's just so big. But one of the guys, every time I'm around, I just forget how big he is. Henry Bainavalu is a big dude too. Yes, he is. He's put on a lot of size, a lot of definition in his upper body. He doesn't have a lot of fat. I would bet his his uh, body, you know, his uh, um, fat. Uh, what is that? The body fat count, uh, body fat. Uh, bro- probably somewhere around 10%, which is pretty good for an O-lineman. And, uh, you know, he'll play right guard. He's probably going to be your right guard uh, starting starting the season. And um, he's a guy who needed his, his the light to come on. He's always had the most uh, talent of anyone on the, on the Husky roster, in my opinion, from an offensive line standpoint. He has all American written all over him. If he just was, is able to get down the playbook, get up the protections, all those different things that they, that they need to work on. And, and um, that was a struggle for him early on, but it sounds like things have kind of clicked for him. And, and as you saw down toward the end of the season, he replaced uh, Jackson Kirkland for the midway through the Colorado game, then had the apple cup and the uh, bowl game at right guard. And I thought he played really, really well. And Scott, you followed Henry during his recruitment, and a lot of kids, when they get away from home, they go a little bit crazy out from underneath the thumb. But Henry Bainavalu struggled a little bit his first year here. Was it his first year he got suspended for a couple of games? Uh, yes, I believe that was what. Well, yeah, it might have been. It might have been his second year as his uh, redshirt freshman season. But yeah, and since and since then, that seemed to be the wake up call he needed because he seems to be doing things right that we're aware of. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does totally seem like he's kind of figured some things out, stopped doing the things that were preventing him from from really maximizing his talent. And and uh, it sounds like he's he's got a good head on his shoulders, got a good family support. It sounds like his family was really 
uh, on the more rigid side. And, and he finally got out from under, like you said, came out from underneath the thumb, did some stupid stuff when he was nothing illegal, nothing, anything like that. Just, you know, got himself in a little bit of trouble and he, he has been able to work through that. And, and, uh, he's, he's done exactly everything that he needs to do to put himself in this position. He's a guy that I've talked about in several of my articles that, if he has the kind of season we all think he could have, he might be a guy who could leave early. Now, I don't think he's going to. I think he'll stay another year, but uh, he will have that opportunity to at least entertain that if he has the kind of season we think he can. And for either one of you, I, there's, a, there's a guy that I was really impressed with, and he didn't play last year. He redshirted, but I know that the Husky coaches just absolutely loved this guy when they were recruiting him out of Henderson, Nevada, Troy Fautanu. What do either one of you guys know about Troy Fautanu, and where do you see him along the offensive line? Well, I think he's probably going to be able to play a backup role, maybe at center, maybe at guard. I don't think he'll he'll they'll need him out at tackle, but you never know. He He's one of those guys, just because he's 6'4", you think, oh, he's definitely a guard, but he has really long arms, long arms of the uh, that uh, that you'd normally see on a on a tackle. So um, the coaches think he can play almost anywhere, and he's got the smarts and that tenacity. So I think he is going to be one of the guys battling MJ Ale for that for that uh, left guard spot. And Chris, how nice has it been just this last couple of years where? You've got offensive linemen that aren't seeing the field until their third year in the program or second year in the program. They're not having to start pure freshmen. They're not having to start red shirt freshmen. And they've got enough depth and experience there where they can develop these guys until they have to take a prominent role along the offensive line. And that wasn't a case for the long time. It's true. Um, you know, obviously back in 2015, Trey Adams played as a true freshman along with Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin. Um and so he was obviously the first true freshman left tackle uh, that we're aware of, at least in the modern history of, of Washington football. But yeah, that was because obviously that particular staff with Pete, Chris Peterson and those guys were kind of building things and then we're having to kind of revamp the whole recruiting process. Now it's not a problem. I mean, you've got a guy in Scott Huff who's been here a few years now. He's been able to kind of put his imprint on things. He's been able to recruit really, really well. So they've been able to build quality depth. So I don't expect that's going to be a problem anytime soon. And when you take a look, you did a big um, look into the size of these guys, Chris. These guys are huge right now compared to what we've had in the past. It's true, but I also noted that the biggest offensive line class in terms of just sheer size, heights, and weights was the 2008 class or the 2008 season. And we know what happened there. So size isn't everything. It's it's a big part of it, obviously. But I, I noted, too, that a lot of it has to do with the individual uh, coaches that you're dealing with. If you, you know you went from a guy like Mike Denbrock, who had no problems playing guys that were huge, guys like Jordan White Frisbee and some of those types of guys, and then you go in, you go back to a guy like Dan Cazetto, who was the offensive line coach under uh, Keith Gilbertson, but then he came back on Steve Sarkeesian, and he had a preference of get, getting guys in that were more in the 295, 300-pound range. So a lot of it all depends. Now, Chris Strasser was kind of more in that old school, get those type of size guys like Cazetto. Huff seems to not have an issue one way or the other. As long as they can move really, really well, basically the bigger the better as far as he's concerned. So that's why you're starting to see the rise in, in the sizes again, like you saw under a guy like Mike Denbrock. 
Hey, just a quick note for those out here who joined, uh, go ahead and turn your cameras off. Um, it'll save some bandwidth and make things a little bit easier on us. So uh, we're just going to do audio. So we've got a couple guys with their uh, cameras on, not really needed. So uh, there's second from the left, you'll see a little camera. Just click on that and uh, that will turn your camera off. And if you're not muted, the one on the far left, that button down below is the mute button. Go ahead and mute yourself. A little bit later, we can get into where you guys will be able to send us questions. We'll be able to answer those as well. But, you know, Chris, when you take, you know, talk about some of the guys that, um, you know, that they had back in 2008, like a Jordan White Frisbee, um, you take a look at it, body type for a Jordan White Frisbee and a body type like Jackson Kirkland, where they may have been similar in size and look the same. Well, no, but, but, but Jackson Kirkland is 320 and, and rock solid and Jordan White Frisbee was also pretty rock solid, but he was also a little taller and he was also about 30 pounds heavier. So yeah, different body types, you know, even go back to like a James Atoy who came into Washington at, at 370, 380 and was able to get it down and um, play at a pretty respectable level, um, probably dropped 30, 40 pounds at least. And, you know, he started a bunch of games. So, yeah, bigger guys are not an issue as long as they can get the job done. They can move laterally. They can bend at the knees, which is absolutely essential. I mean, there are just some basic things you have to be able to do as an offensive lineman and other things that Chris or Scott Huff is looking at specifically. And if you can do those things and you happen to be 6'8 and 350 pounds, more power to you. I mean, you look at a guy like Julius Bulo, not far off from that, Nate Kalepo, 6'6", 340. I mean, you you know, he would like to get his tackles in that 6'6 to 6'8 range. And if they come in and they play at 320, 330, 340, perfect. And Scott, we've talked about this before, you know, with John Schneider during the draft, he talked about body profiling, looking for certain body types for certain positions. And you've had a little bit of a, com a few conversations with Dan Cazetto about, you know, what he's looking for. Did I say Dan Cazetto? I meant Scott Huff. But uh, you've had a couple conversations with Scott Huff. What what does Scott like to see in an offensive line recruit? Well, he wants guys who are, I mean, we're talking ideals here. I mean, he he will settle for less and and you know and but they have to have other things that are that are elite so um he's looking for guys first off with a six five frame roughly six five to six seven in that range he, that's what he'd prefer all of his offensive linemen to be he'd prefer all of them to be somewhere in the 260 to 280 pound range if they are carrying 290 pounds pretty well i don't think he matter he, he minds too much but i think he prefers his guys a little more athletic can they bend that's what he's looking for, guys who can bend at the waist, or I'm sorry, bend at the knees, not at the waist. Um, guys who uh, can can really get out of their stance quickly, quick feet, long arms, um, those kind of things. That's really what he's looking for. He wants his guys to be interchangeable. He wants the tackles to be able to play guard, guard to be able to play tackle or center, centers to be able to play guard. So that's kind of what he's looking at. He's looking for guys who can rotate through and, and be on, be anywhere that he, that he can kind of mix and match and just find the best five guys. And Scott, he's taken on some guys that, uh, 
he were a little bit smaller and had to bulk up a little bit. Robert Worse in this last recruiting class is a guy that uh, is definitely a little bit light, but uh, boy, with that guy's work ethic and what he's got going, I expect him to show up. But Luke Wattenberg was another one who got sick before he got here and lost quite a bit of weight and had to put some more on. So, you know, they don't mind doing that, looking at that body type and knowing that they can add some weight. Can you think of any other guys that fit that description? Well, Roger Rosengarten, I know, is about 260 when he uh, finished up his, his high school career uh, at Valor Christian. Now, I talked to someone close to him recently, and he's about 280 now, I think 285, somewhere in that range. So uh, he's right where they'd like to get him in at. And it does sound, I've talked to several people, several recruits. It sounds like all the guys who signed and are not on camp, did not make it to campus before the, sh- the shutdown. So that would be everyone except for Miles Murau, Jordan Lilahea, and Tristan Brown. Everyone else, and Guard Memelar, I'm sorry. So, um, but everyone else is expected to show up in late June uh, for to to start their Husky career as long as things hold where they're where they're going right now. Just a reminder, top of the hour, we'll have Aaron Beach on our hoops guy. We'll talk about Cole Bajima and just we'll do some hoops talk for those interested in that. And then a little bit later in the show, we'll do a recruiting roundup and what's the latest and greatest on recruiting. But hey, Chris, want to get over and talk about, you know, it seems to be a lot of hand wringing right now about the tight end position with uh, Jordan Pow Pow moving on to Nevada and uh, the hiring of Durham Cato. But uh, I think right now, the tight end position looks like it's in good hands. Uh, just to talk a little bit about what you see at the tight end position. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, even though you do lose Hunter Bryant, which is obviously a big part of what they had last year in terms of just pass catchers and impact makers on the offensive side of the ball, playmakers, um, you do have guys that, um, you know, should be able to step up a little bit and, and show what they can do. And you, you've got a couple, unfortunately, you had a couple of true freshmen in uh Mason West and Mark Redman, who were, you know, scheduled to come in for spring football. And then, you know, obviously quirk of fate didn't happen that way. But, you know, they they were in line to come in. They were ready to go. Hopefully that means that they're getting everything that they need to get in during this, you know, spring slash summer type, you know, <laughs> period of time that they've got going on here. But, you know, you've got you've got the leader now, Kate Otten, who should be the guy that everyone looks at. He will be this year's version of Honor Bryant, um, better blocker. So you're getting you're getting some of those things. I don't. He's not quite the playmaker, obviously, that Hunter Bryant was. Probably not as fast, for instance. Jacob Kaiser, I think, is a real X factor. You know, depending on what he can do, but he's a guy that's six five, two sixty, uh, who's a really really good blocker as well. And unfortunately, got sidelined by some injuries. Devin Culp, again, another huge X factor, and another guy that's six three, two fifty five, two sixty. Got to see what he's capable of doing. Only got to see him a couple times this last year, and unfortunately didn't take uh, chances uh, when he had them, when he had his opportunities. But you look at the guys coming in, like I said, Mason West, Mark Redman, um, they've got a chance. J- uh, Jack Westover's got a chance to take that next step. So there are plenty of guys in the loop, but again, it's you know outside of of Kate Otten, it's it all comes down to potential. And you know, what they say about potential, you know, it, it, when people talk about potential, that means you haven't done anything yet. And Scott, when we take a look at a guy like Devin Culp, first of all, he's a real athletic big guy, but we haven't been able to really 
well, we haven't seen it practice <clears throat> with the new offensive coordinator or the tight end coach, but lots of rumors out there that Devin Culp could be used a little bit differently is than just a strict tight end. And what we see out of Devin Culp is probably what we're going to see out of Caden Jumper when he arrives at UW. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to be an H-back fullback in, in Washington scheme. I'm sure he'll line up a few times at tight end. He and Westover kind of trade off, but right now those are the two guys who are scheduled to be in that H-back role and, I think the coaches are pretty excited about getting both of those guys and their playmaking abilities out of the backfield as well as their blocking ability because I, that's one thing that um, Westover's always actually been pretty good at, but Culp hasn't, and I've heard that he's really improved in that area over the last you know, six months to a year. Yeah, you know, I'm not really exactly sure. You hear all kinds of things with Jordan Powell Powell. I like Jordan a lot. Um, I know for a fact that he was one of the most well-liked coaches on the staff. But, um, you know, Jordan moved on to Nevada, and that's probably a chance for him to have a little bit more of a responsibility for Jordan. But uh, bringing in Durham Cato, and people may not know of him. They may, you know, and a lot of people are always afraid of the unknown, and they always fear the worst. But Everybody I've talked to, to a T, and not only just inside the program, but people outside the program, people at programs that uh, are in the conference, he's pretty well thought of, Chris and Scott. So I'm not sure what you guys have heard about Durham Cato. Well, I thought he was pretty impressive during the, the uh, you call it a webinar, you call it the, the, the media uh, conference call that he had um, with us a couple weeks back. Well-spoken guy, obviously um, confident in what he's about, even though he hasn't necessarily coached at this high of a level. He has been a coordinator before. He has coached before at the the, pack, the Power 5 level. He was at Vanderbilt with John Donovan, so that's the connection there. So I think there's there's a lot of reasons why it made sense for a guy like Durham Cato to become the tight ends coach. I think they felt like if they didn't, offer him an opportunity to get on the field that they may lose him. And he is maybe at least on the West coast. I don't know about nationally, but I think out in this part of the world, he's considered a bit of a rising star. Um, I know that uh, when Osborne was here, the, the receivers, the offensive, the, the GA, a lot of people thought that Tyler Osborne might become the next receivers coach because he was another guy that had a fantastic reputation as a coach and a rising star, what have you. And, you know, he's not Washington anymore. So Durham Cato is a guy where when they had an opportunity and they had the connection with Donovan, they wanted to take a shot. So we'll see what happens. Well, the one thing that's interesting, he's an Ivy League guy. I mean, he went to Dartmouth and he coached at Vanderbilt. This is a really, really smart guy. Um, Scott, I like having smart guys in the room. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm always the dumb guy in the room, but uh, everything I've heard that he's an incredibly, incredibly bright guy. Uh, yeah, I, you know, everything that I've heard is is good about him. I think the one area that maybe he needs to work on some things is is on the recruiting front. But some of that comes because he's never really had to do it that much. So, um, you know, I, I mean, we're, we're just going to have to see. I don't think you can make a judgment either way. I don't think you can say he's an awesome recruiter. I don't think you can say he's a bad recruiter. I just don't think anyone knows at this point. So, and and I just I also don't think you can really judge him on 
you know, taking over as the um, tight when did it get hired? The end of January, whatever that was. And I mean, basically, they've been on lockdown. They haven't been able to have kids on campus since you know a couple weeks after that. So, um, I I think Washington is is um, you know, they're the I, I'm sure that um, Jimmy Lake is going to keep an eye on him and see how he does and and make sure he's coming along like they want him to. But yeah, you're right, Kim. Very smart guy, very into the game plan. And from what I've been told, a future offensive coordinator when it comes when it's all said and done. Yeah, and people just don't know. But the other, I think the other misconception out there is that uh, if you have a recruit, that there's one guy recruiting him. It doesn't work like that. A lot of the time, especially when Chris Peterson was here, and I'm guessing it's pretty much the same with Jimmy Lake. It's a group effort. I mean, they tag team guys. It's everybody that's recruiting a guy. And, you know, if a guy's starting to pay more attention to another school, they bring another coach in and have two, three, four coaches make contact with them. But it's not just a one-on-one recruiting thing. It's pretty much a team effort. And I'm, I'm not sure that a lot of people understand that. I mean, uh, I mean, for the most part, you're right, Kim. Yeah, they they do get recruited by quite a few different coaches on the staff, but they are they do have one main contact, and that's usually their position coach, or at the very least, the coach who recruits the area they recruit. Jimmy Lake does take over, uh, like Chris Peterson does with some of the different recruits. JT Tutmalau, Emeka Egbuka, those guys are both priorities for Jimmy Lake, and and I think he's reaching out to them as much as uh, Ikaika Malloy is to Malau and Adam Junior Adams is to Emeka. So, um, yeah, for the most part, I agree with you, Kim. But, uh, I mean, yes, they are still – there is one main contact, and it's usually their, their uh, position coach. Yeah. I, I, like I said, you know, I don't know Durham that well, but the people that I've talked to that I respect just say that was a really good hire. And I know, like I said, you know, when people don't have information, there's a lot of tendency out there to think the worst. And uh, we're not only seeing that with some of the people out there, you know, on Durham Cato, but we're also seeing it on John Donovan where people just don't know. And, you know, it, it sucks that we didn't have spring football and we were unable to see it because there's nothing we'd like better. And, you know, there's times that we can get in. I don't know. I And I think Chris disagrees on me a little bit. But, you know, we've had so much with the lockdown and the coronavirus and all this other nonsense. You know, I think people are just kind of tired of it and they want that release, that relief to come to us when not having to deal with, you know, the talk of that. But, uh, you know, with more things getting, it seems like things are loosening up and I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to have football at some point, Chris. Are you there? Uh, he might have stepped away. I, I agree with you, Kim. I, I think there is. I think things have loosened up a little bit and. I, I think that things are largely starting to return to normal, you know, over, I think we'll be back to, if it's 75, 80, 80% normal, I, I think people will be able to handle that. I don't think there's going to be fans in the crowd, in the stands. And if there is, it's going to be very limited. We've seen some things with the, uh, what was it? The Bundesliga that uh, started up over the weekend and, and they didn't have anybody that that was really weird. I watched the, I watched it and you could hear guys talking to each other and, and all that. That was, that's something you don't hear most of the time. So, um, and I'll be wondering, they'll, they'll have to, the field mics in the NFL and in college, if they don't have fans in the stands, they're going, they're going to have to have those field mics on because oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to be on like a seven second delay because man, you're going to hear a lot of words that, 
don't usually come out on uh, regular over the air TV. Yeah. And just one more thing, you know, just on if we're going to have football or not, because I don't want to dive deep into it. Everybody else seems to be doing it and we just want to talk ball. But, um, you know, anybody, you know, the answer to the question, you know, are we going to have football and when's it going to be? I think the answer, are we going to have football? The answer is yes. We just don't know when. And nobody does. I think it's one of those things where Jen Cohen and every athletic director, as well as staff in the conference and in the country has been you know, writing up contingency plans so that they're prepared when something does happen, that they'll know how to have it and not just have to start when they do this, but they are working on all the contingency plans. And I think when we, you know, as we start coming out of this and time goes along, we'll have a clearer and clearer picture. But anybody who says that they know what's happening right now, they don't because way, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah, you don't know that it's going to be shut down. Like some people just want to say it because I think they're preparing themselves for the worst. Some people just say they're going to be shut down, and then there's other people who just say they're going to be wide open. I don't, I don't think you could say either way that that uh, things are pointing in that direction. I, I think it's pointing in the direction of football being played this fall, and I think it will be on time. But you know, there's so much time still, and and that was. You know, we talked about it on uh, when we did our little test run that it, it really aggravated me when I saw that the Cal State uh, system canceled, you know, on, you know, their classes and they're only going to go online. And the Oregon governor said no large gatherings before early October. And and I'm like, how can you say that right now, one way or the other? I mean, it, you why can't you just say, Hey, we're making contingency plans. We're looking at things. We're still kind of waiting to see how things go. When we open things up, is there going to be spikes? Is there going to be this or that? Whatever. That's fine. Sure. But, but, but saying, making declarative statements like that, I just thought was irresponsible of them. And almost like they were kind of being, pardon my French, kind of dickish in, in the way they were doing it. Cause they're like, you know what? No one's going to tell us whether we're going to open or not. We're going to do whatever we want. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A reminder, we'll be here till eight o'clock and uh, I'm going to try to find Aaron Beecher in a second, but uh, next segment, we'll talk about uh, basketball and uh, Aaron Beach will be on with us and then we'll move to the recruiting down at the top of the hour. Again, we're doing this. This is the first time doing it. So we're still trying to figure some stuff out. Aaron Beach, are you there? I'm here. You hear me? <laughs> yeah, you're kind of faint. If you can move a little closer to your microphone, that would be awesome. Well, I'm... Uh... Hang on a second. Let me, You're uh, sitting back in your chair. You're drinking a margarita. <laughs> Jen is in her little maid outfit with her school sunglasses, and your daughters are out on dates. <laughs> if I got it nailed, I leave poor Tiffany alone. Um, he's. I don't know. Can we hear me all right? Yeah, that's better. So, all right. What's going right. on? I'm used to the the rock and roll introduction and all that. I didn't get that, so this is throwing me off. Yeah, if you can get a little closer to the mic and get your volume up a little bit, that would be great. So you're still right. a little low on volume, so get get good and close. But, uh, you know, with Hoops, Coach Hopkins, a couple of transfers this year with, uh, 
you know, Eric Stevenson out of Timberlane, uh, you know, um, committing to Washington. And then Saturday, is there any, a, wor any a worse time to really announce something than on a Saturday night? So Saturday night, Cole Bajima out of Linden uh, commits to Washington. And uh, guys from Linden don't answer their phone or return text messages. I've been trying for two days to get a hold of him with no luck. But uh, tell people what you know about Cole Bajima, uh, Aaron. Well, so first of all, how's this volume? Is this all right? Because I'm pretty much it's yelling better. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So uh, he, first and foremost, he's an elite shooter. Um, and that's a big deal because Washington hasn't recruited one in a long time uh, since CJ, really, at least in my opinion. Um, so that's the first thing. And he's big. He's well, he's not big. He's long. He's six, seven. Um, and he's more of a traditional small forward uh, in the mode of, say, Dominic Green. Uh, maybe Trey Simmons, uh, Donovan Dorsey, you know, guys like that. So he's uh, kind of more limited in terms of skill set where he's a he's very much a traditional three. Um, and, uh, you know, he'll, so he'll be playing on the wing, but he's got he's very versatile, uh, good handle for a guy his size. He's wafer thin and, you know, coming from a 1A school, he's not especially uh, equipped physically yet, and that'll come in time. So if he does have to sit a year, which I suspect he will, um, you know, the, the extra time in the weight room will really pay off and pay big dividends for that. But um, don't don't uh, underestimate the impact of this commitment. This is a he's an elite he's an elite guy, um, and I, I think when we take a look back at this this recruiting strategy shift that we've seen just this off season, which is um, you know, basically hometown transfers. Um, I think Badgen was going to be the guy that you look at and go, wow, he was big time and we didn't really know it because he committed Saturday night. Yeah, it's like I said, what was it? Jaden McDaniels what, committed at 11 o'clock at night and then announced he was going pro at 10 o'clock at night. It's, like, it's almost like the Friday night news dump. You know, let's announce it when nobody's around. Kind of funny. Please, for the love of God, don't pay attention to me. <laughs> no, it's kind of funny. His sister's a big-time volleyball player at UW, and uh, the word I have it is uh, his sister was a monster, and he's got some in him too. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, like I say, it's, it takes time to transfer from a 1A school to adapt to a school like Michigan and, you know, a high-major school like Washington. So when the time comes, I, I think um, he's in the mix. And if he does end up uh, being, you know, qualifying this year, if they let him play, He's too talented not to at least factor into the conversation. Yeah, and everything I've heard is he plays with a little bit of an edge on it. Is uh, you know uh, on on the courts and a couple of stories. Maybe someday I'll be able to tell, but some of them are pretty funny. But uh, yeah, he's got a little bit of edge. He doesn't back down from anybody, and he's not only just a shooter. You know, Eric Stevenson might be a pure shooter, but uh, Cole Bajima seems to have a little bit more of a rounded game and able to do more things on the defensive end, able to get in there and do some rebounding, also create off the dribble and set guys up is what I've been told from, you know, guys that have been uh, seen him quite a bit. Yeah. Well, Washington's badly needed a guy like this. So uh, I'm excited to see how, you know, Hop Hopkins makes him fit. And then the other thing is, you know, when he committed to Michigan, I'm not sure why Michigan was his dream school. I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but since he was a little kid, he always went, wanted to go to Michigan, but he committed to Michigan and their coach went to coach the Cleveland Cavaliers. So he got stuck with a new coach who didn't recruit him and it didn't seem to work well for him back then. So um, I expect him uh, to sit out the following year at Washington, 
Um, I think that, you know, from what I'm hearing, Eric Stevenson has a good chance to um, get the waiver and be eligible to play next year. So um, we'll have to see. Just a reminder for those, we're just doing audio. Got your video on. Go ahead and turn that off. You see a little tool down there, second from the left, and you can turn the video off. Then sound lot. So don't need to be doing the video. But uh, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about Eric Stevenson. Well, so when you talk about uh, energy and playing with an edge and and fearlessness, he's he's more of that guy to me. And I haven't seen a lot of Bajima, but um, Stevenson's a hard nosed, edgy guard. Uh, he is in, inconsistently awesome from three, <laughs> occasionally not very good, and he'll go in stretches. So he's definitely a street shooter. But at the same time, um, man, he's had two years of, of um, you know, serious uh, East Coast defense, and he, he's been prepped properly um, for uh, to make an immediate impact at Washington. I believe he'll start, um, you know, out of the gate. He's a guy that can put up 15 points a game for Washington. Uh, and I think he'll he'll play pretty well. I, I think that he's pretty complimentary to Quadia Green. I think the two of them, uh, both who are more lead guard or combo guard types, um, you know, fit pretty well together, especially with their energetic style of play. I think you're going to see uh, defensively they're going to cause problems um, because they're both very quick and savvy. Um, so, yeah, the two of them together should be a lot of fun. And then you throw in Nas. You know, you're going to have a nice little three-guard rotation there. How much does Eric Stevenson impact minutes for um, Raekwon Battle? Oh, a ton. I, I got to believe. Now, and that's not to say that, I you know, Raekwon's not an impact player because I think eventually he is. But I think he got last season, he was thrust into a situation that he really wasn't prepared for. And I think we saw it. He's a better shooter than 26% from three. Um, but his shot selection was really pretty bad. So he's definitely got to learn that. Um, but long-term battle is going to be great, but Stevenson's the more polished, the more poised and Hopkins really kind of has to adapt to a win now mentality. Um, and that means using a guy like Stevens Stevenson over a project like battle. Yeah. And then when we take a look at Marcus Sahonis too, with the minutes there with uh, Marcus Sahonis at point guard, uh, Quad A Green, we expect to be back, and then uh, also bringing in Nate Pryor. And um, I'm trying to be careful, not get myself in trouble, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see a redshirt year on Nate Pryor. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I don't see a lot of, you know, if, well, so let's put it this way if Hopkins stays true to the idea that he wants to run an eight man rotation, um, several of these guys aren't playing. Um, so, and I don't think Nate Pryor really projects this season at all. Yeah. And, and, uh, Riley Soren, uh, he was talking to a guy, Riley's, uh, definitely on scholarship and you remember the deal on Riley, don't you, Aaron? Uh, he had to prove that, uh, he had the commitment, you know, to, to play at this level. Isn't that right? Well, he's a, he's a really super intelligent guy, and he wanted to get into the aeronautical engineering school at UW, which I guess is one of the best in the country. And um, they agreed to into the aeronautical engineering school and put him on scholarship if he walked on for two years because they didn't want to get him in here, get him into the aeronautical engineering school right away and have him quit basketball. But with the two years in the in the program, he seems to really enjoy himself. And when he first got here, you saw it, Beach. He had a tough time just coming walking, you know, because he was so big and still growing into his body. But 
I'll give Riley credit. I still don't think he's ready, but you got to give him a lot of credit. He's come a long ways. Oh, yeah. Well, so I watched him a bit in high school, and he's not a total stiff. And that was the first thing that jumped out when you're looking at a guy who's seven foot four and is not a total stiff and anchored to the ground. This, he's not Sean Bradley. Um, so I don't know how they're going to use him. You know, that's he's a bit of an albatross these days. But at the same time, it's going to be an awful lot of fun. Uh, if he can pack on a bit of weight, maybe he adds 20, 30 pounds and can better hang in there against the big boys. Um, but seven four seven four. I saw him in a high school, it was actually an AU game, and he was shot a free throw, and he missed it to the left and didn't touch the rim. It hit the backboard and didn't touch the rim. <laughs> <laughs> he's got some skill, though, Kim. He's, yeah, I know he's he does. Not, he's he's got... not an unskilled dude. And, you know, the guy that I'm excited about, I'm just wondering how they get Brian Penn Johnson. I mean, I mean, Penn Johnson plays 30 minutes a game. He leads the country in block shots. There's no doubt about that. Well, so you've got, you basically got four guys there who, well, no, that's not true. You've got three guys who are auditioning again this season, right? Between Penn Johnson, Nate Roberts, and Jerron Brooks, because we forget about Jerron, who's now eligible and who's very much a blue collar Desmond Simmons, you know, battler type. Um, all these guys are auditioning to play next to Hamir. Um, but you're right, Kim. I mean, uh, when just in the limited we saw PJ play, uh, he kind of had that. Uh, oh, Lord, he's escaping me. Who He was a center for Washington. He left midseason about three years ago. Who am I thinking of? God. Big dude got in trouble. Big dude got in trouble. At any rate, so Robert Upshaw. Robert Upshaw. You know, you're going to bring up Big Rob? <laughs> really? He, he's kind of got that stalker. Um, you know, that added that stalker demeanor that, uh, you know, like he's just gonna, he's gonna come block the ball, come hell or high water. Uh, BPJ has got that a bit and, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. The thing that makes me a little crazy about Brian Penn Johnson is he's such a big guy and I'm sure, you know, just growing up and being big, he always looks like he always walks like he's ducking under a door. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to see Brian Penn Johnson and, you know, just uh, help me understand why, why are people on our site and why are just the casual fans down on uh, Jamal Bay? Well, I mean, I'm one of those, to be honest. Really? Yeah. I mean, look, and it's, it, it has nothing to do with, it, it's nothing more to do with anything besides the fact that he can't, he's here to get buckets. And I I get that he's a great defensive player and everything. Um, and, you know, plays the game that Hopkins wants him to play. But at the same time, we're three years in now. He, he needs to deliver because, to me, there's too many talented guys waiting behind him that should be getting those minutes. Um, he, he played a lot more, I thought, last season than he deserved. And I think that was generally the consensus among most fans. Um, so, you know, he's a good all-around player. I think it, it's probably a mental thing. I think it's got to be confidence. Um, you know, working with kids, I've spent enough time with people that lack the confidence that they can show and do all kinds of things in practice. But when it comes down to it in games, um, you know, they just, it, it, it evaporates. And that's kind of what it looks like to me. Yes, what I saw was there was so much focus on Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart. He was put in a role that uh, I think he was just put in a tough role, which this year I expect the team to be so much different. And I expect him to flourish because I just think he's a dynamic athlete. I think he's got the potential to be a dynamic scorer. And when you take a look at the offensive capabilities of guys after their second year, 
and he's playing the same position as a Justin Holiday or a uh, Matisse Thibel. And I think his offense is light years ahead of where those two were at the same point in their career. I don't know, though, Kim, because if you remember, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure I agree with that because as raw as Justin was, and maybe Matisse, because Matisse was pretty much non-existent offensively as a freshman. But Justin, he could still deliver, stick up. He could deliver the three. I think he was a 35% or more shooter from three. And I think he averaged like nine a game. If I remember right, as a freshman. So, well, you saw the, Justin Holiday. You got a glimpse of what I expect to see. Yet. He could be the fire boy. Well, Jamal, when you take a look at Jamal Bay's uh, first game this year with the 20 points in the exhibition game, I think that's what, you know, I think that's his potential. You know, I saw it, you know, just able to hit the outside shots in the mid range and able to drive to the hoop as well as uh, play defense and rebound. No, and it's there, but, you know, it's there for some of these other guys on the roster, too. Um, Marcus isn't going to, you know, take it sitting down, right? I mean, he's got he's got Stevenson coming into the mix, um, and he's going to be angling for that playing time. And I just uh, – I, I think that Bay's one of those guys in a vulnerable situation. The thing is, you really kind of want that funnel to work because of the ties to Bishop, Bishop Gorman and – uh, coach Rice's brother being the head coach there, and they've got a lot of five-star-ish type of guys and prospects that I know Washington would love to get their hands on. Um, so they want Bay to work out, but uh, and they're going to give them every chance to do it. But at the same time, I, man, you got to deliver, right? We're at the, we can't no more project time. It's time to be a to be a real player and make an impact. All right, a couple more things before we let you run, Aaron. Just touch bases on recruiting a little bit. Um, you know the 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 big money guy, the big money guy, the star power is definitely in Paulo Banchero. I mean, we've been hearing about since about Paulo since what seventh grade. Yep, we've been hearing yep. about Paulo forever. Uh, tell us a little bit about Paulo, and I'll tell you what I'm hearing on Paulo. Well, I mean, there are some that argue he could be. By the way, Paulo Banchero, six ten, out of O'Day High School. His dad played tight end on the national championship football team, and his uh, mom is Rhonda Smith, the all-time leading scorer at University of Washington before um, Kelsey Plum uh, passed her up. But uh, tell us about Paulo. Uh, super smooth, uh, old-school kind of post athlete with uh, with an awesome motor. Um, you know, we're not talking, uh, you know, uh, Stewart type of you know, speed and, and energy, but close to it. So he's going to deliver similar results in that aspect. He's one of those guys that's a high ceiling, high floor guy. There's not much risk in him not coming in and, and, and meeting his, you know, expectations. Um, big time rebounder. He's got all kinds of moves underneath. He's super crafty and savvy. Got all kinds of ball fakes and, and great creative footwork. Uh, he's a special player, you know, obviously a top five guy. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they want him bad. They've already got Jackson Grant, you know, in the can, who's kind of a undersized Spencer Hawes. That's what I see when I'm watching him is a lot of his body movements remind me of a, you know, six, nine Spencer. So they've already got him committed for uh, 2021. And then Paulo, that's a great compliment. You got um, your front court be all Seattle guys. And that's pretty rare to get your bigs from Seattle. And what I'm hearing is Washington's in a really good place for him. Uh, if he doesn't go to the G League. Wow. We got some static for somebody on the line real quick. 
<laughs> but uh, anyways, that's what I'm hearing, that uh, they're in really good shape of him if he doesn't elect to go to the G League. But uh, let me ask you a question. You can only have one. You're going to take Paulo or Nolan Hickman, the point guard out of uh, Eastside Catholic? Well, I think Washington has pretty much firmly established the importance of getting the right floor general. And I think Hickman fits the mold. Um, so while I'd love to see Banchero in a Husky uniform, I don't know if he's the must get. Uh, I think Hickman's probably the guy for the future. The problem, so 2022, 2021's loaded in the state of Washington with talent. Yeah, I think you got four top 75 guys, which is awesome. Uh, 2022's not that way. And granted, you know, we haven't seen a lot of these guys that would be emerging right now, like um, like uh, Badgema did, right? He he played one tournament in the spring last year and exploded. Next thing you know, he's got a Michigan offer, and that's how this thing works. Um, they're, we're not going to have that this year. Uh, we've already missed the big AAU window. Um you know, and they're, from what I'm hearing, they're going to try and do a shortened season, July and maybe even August. And we'll see if that comes through. But 2022 is pretty weak statewide. So they've really got to lock it down here in 2021. Yeah, looking at Jackson Grant and then uh, Paulo Banchero and Nolan Hickman and the other guy to keep an eye on out of Long Beach Poly down in California, Peyton Watson. So uh, guys to kind of keep an eye on. Beach, anything else before we let you run and get into football recruiting? No, man, I'm just ready to see hoops again. The, thank God. Thank goodness we had the last dance to get us through this period. Because um, I don't know what we would have done. Who's taller, me or Jerry Krause? <laughs> you, Kim. At least three inches. <laughs> Why did you hesitate? <laughs> I was trying to come up with some clever, you know, slightly mean quip, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it on the fly. I thought it was pretty funny when uh, Jerry Krause asked Michael Jar, let me have one of those cigars and... Michael says, yeah, they stuck in your growth, and he walks off. <laughs> so brutal to him. It was, it was so funny. So, But I got this warped sense of humor. Aaron, it's always great talking to you. We miss Hopefully we'll get you out there more next year and uh, say hi to the girls and your lovely, lovely bride. All right? All right, Kim. Thanks, guys. Bye, Aaron. Aaron See you. Aaron Beach. And uh, hey, are you still there? Fetters? Chris Fetters, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I've, I've been here. Yeah, it's always fun to catch up with Beach. It's always fun to catch up with Beach, isn't it? Always. We did it. By the way, for people that don't know, we did uh, Beach and I did a pretty big uh, podcast that was basketball only, um, and I can certainly repost that. Um. Just a reminder for those who've just come on late. Um, this is our first venture into live webcasting, web broadcasting, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's going to be some bugs. We're still trying to figure some things out, but uh, we expect this to be a regular part of what we do and it will expand and it will get better and we'll figure out the kinks and, uh, you know, just long ways to go with this product but we think it could be something really really cool and with kjr being the home of the huskies and having the broadcast right that um, contract actually takes uh takes effect on june 1 so it'll be interesting to keep an eye. i haven't talked to anybody at kjr in a while but they definitely want us involved in what we do but um with this product you know chris this is something that we can you know do once a week and uh 
we can drop F-bombs every once in a while if we want to, but we don't want to. But uh, we can do these real quick when we get a commitment or a basketball or breaking news. We can jump out on these and do a live broadcast. We want to start getting you guys a little bit more involved in this. We can run it just radio show. There's a chat function at the bottom where you can send us questions. So we'll get used to doing that and uh, hopefully have some pretty cool guests on as well during the broadcast. Like I said, we want to run this just like we do our radio show without the commercial interruptions. But if there are people out there interested in sponsoring us on our webcast, web broadcast, shoot me a note, huskystadium at gmail.com. We'll see if we can work something out. We'd love to get a sponsor for this. And this is something we expect to take off, especially once the season starts. But uh, we're still growing, still learning with this product. And uh, it looks like John is the only one with his video camera on. So no need to have that on if you see it but uh anyway we want do we want people to actually ask questions tonight or we what are we gonna do i just want to move over to football recruiting so we've got a lot to cover and then maybe if we get a little bit of time with it uh you know we can talk some football we can take some questions for people and use the chat function but uh i want to go ahead and move on over to the um over to football recruiting scott are you there yes i am I thought you might have taken off while we were talking basketball. No, uh, no, I I did not. Where are the kids? Did you lock them in the closet? No, I think they've tied their mother up downstairs and are torturing her. <laughs> uh, taking the fun away from me, anyways. Mm -hmm. But uh, recruiting, boy. Yeah. How, how like... many how many times did you drop uh, an shit with my kids in the car after I told you like five times? I also, yeah, I also, told, <laughs> I also uh, told you Dairy Queen was open. Yeah, but they're not there yet. You got to give it a couple of years. Oh, no, I'll pound them when they're young. But uh, every year we seem to go through this uh, panic mode, hand wringing, people wondering what's going on, just, uh, just really freaking out about uh, football recruiting. Uh, you worried, Scott? Um, worried wouldn't be the word. I, I mean, I'm not sitting back and saying there's there, you know, this is everything is going just peachy and it's perfect and everything like that. But I don't think it's it's what a lot of people are making it out to be. I think there's a fringe group of people who wind everybody up and then people who would normally be rational or get freaked out and they come on the board and they they don't get the answers they they want right away and so they they automatically turn negative and things like that so um that being said no i'm not worried at this point talk to me middle of the season because it if we were having visits right now if if kids were able to come up and be on campus and coaches were able to go out and see them and these kids are still committing to other schools or maybe some other schools were starting to take the lead in front of washington then maybe I'd be a little bit more concerned, but I'm not because this is so weird. This is such a weird situation. And I've, I've had a bunch of people say, well, it's not hurt. The, the COVID lockdowns aren't, aren't uh, hurting some of these other schools. And I would say, well, it might in the future because a lot of those kids locked up spots, but I don't know if they're, they're going to, there is a growing consensus of people in football offices. I'm not talking about people like me or Brendan Huffman or Steve Bartle or the Utah side or some of these other guys that cover recruiting. I'm talking coaches in the coaching offices or assistant coaches who all think 
there are going to be a ton of decommits uh, once things open back up and guys are able to visit schools. So that's really when we're going to see what kind of recruiters these guys really are. It's kind of like Chuck told us in the SEC, you know, when a kid gave you a that many interested. And, you know, when you talk about SEC recruiting style, you know, that or doing and they'll lead the conference and decommits again this year. I, I honestly believe that. You agree with that? I, I, no, but only because I think USC is going to be the big one. Well, yeah, I, I think USC is going to have a lot of decommits and not because they're going to stink. I think they're taking commits from guys that they probably wouldn't take commits from at this point um, and would wait for because they're in on some bigger guys. And I think they're they're and the way they go national. There's there's a kid, I think, from Virginia that they're leading for right now and, and could end up. Uh, committing he's a d lineman i and the guy's a three star and he's a pretty good player but um you know is a guy really going to look at 2700 miles really when he has options closer to him after things open back up you know i i don't know i i, I think usc and oregon definitely will lead the conference though in in decommits this year scott we have a, a chance to talk it's one thing to talk on the message boards but you really can't get um Sometimes it's more difficult to get your thoughts across in uh, in print or type um, when you see it on the boards as opposed to, you know, talking it out loud. Brandon Jumper, excuse me, Caden Jumper is a guy that I've liked for a long time. And I think that uh, the role they're going to use him on, I think, is gonna, I think he's going to be a really good player. I don't know that he's going to be an all-pack 12 player, but he's going to be a really valuable piece at some point down the line. Yeah, I, I don't know if I see all Pac-12 kind of guy, but he's going to be a guy who's solid for you. He's going to work in the classroom. He's going to put the work in in the weight room in practice. He's going to be a great practice player at Washington. He'll be he'll he'll probably be a two year starter at the University of Washington and go on to be maybe not a world beater, but a pretty good player. And he fits the role that Washington looks that wants him to play. And I think the the fact that they took him this early, people can say, well, why didn't they wait? Because they didn't want to. There was no need to wait. He wasn't going to build momentum for the in-state class or anything like that. They just figured, why wait when we can get this guy right now and not have to worry about it in the future? Well, more so than that that we think is going to fill a specific need for us that you're not seeing a lot of guys in high school do what they're going to ask him to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The guys aren't asked to do that very much in, in college as well, you know, and with this, the success that teams like San Francisco have had uh, with the fullback slash slash halfback, at the you know H back at the next level, I I think that you're going to see more teams kind of move that way. And the, hey, look, the whole key for these coaches is to get the best eleven players on the field and the best playmakers, so that they can go out and and put them in position to make plays and to to help them be successful. Washington is going to maximize the talent they have. John Donovan has said over and over, hey, it we're not just going to line up with three tight ends and run the ball downhill at you all the time. We're going to split guys out. We're going to run three wides. Um, a, a pro-style offense nowadays is three and four wide receivers. So he said, I don't know where people got 
this thing that we're just going to line up and in tight formations and and only run the ball and and throw the ball on third down and things like that. He said we're going to be multiple. We're going to do a lot of different things. And for people to say, well, they don't understand what he's going to do. If you listen to the man, you'll kind of understand that he wants to be as multiple as possible. And he's going to try. And he, the biggest concern for John Donovan isn't the skill position guys. It, well, I guess it is because it's the quarterback that he has to worry about. He has to find the right guy for their offense. He finds that guy and things get very easy recruiting on the offensive side of the ball. And what I heard from a coach from another school that he said he's absolutely perfect for what Washington wants to do. And he said, if you really want to know why, just go ahead and take a look at his film and uh, see if he goes down on first contact. He drags guys. He dishes out punishment. He's a tough kid. And if you've got a yard to get and he's got the ball in his hands, that's the guy you want with the ball in your hands because he's going to do everything in his power to get that extra yard. And we've had guys at Washington that, you know, tend to not do that. But uh, when you get a guy like that in high schools, it's tough. And I know it's not a big level, but you know, I really, I've, like I said, I've, I've liked Caden jumper for a long, long time. So well, it, Washington's roster and toughness has been built on in-state guys who weren't high end recruits who were guys who recruited regionally, which is he's going to have offer. He would have had, if he didn't commit to Washington, he would have had an offer from, I think he had one from Oregon state, but Washington state would have offered, I have a feeling you would have seen some other, uh, I, I think you would have seen Boise, I can't remember if Boise State offered or not, I don't have it up in front of me, but you're going to see, he would have had, uh, you know, a handful of offers. I could see Arizona coming in and offering a guy like that as well, but no one's going to come in and offer him because this is where he wanted to be. And his parents are excited about that. His parents are excited to have him there. They're going to have 20 to 30 people at every home game for him. These are the kind of guys that you can build your roster around. You don't just have to have stars. You have to have guys who are going to come in and do all the dirty work and not care whether they get the accolades or not. And that's Caden Jumper. Just a, like a reminder, this is the first time we've done one of these, so we're still working out the kinks. We'll get better at this. But if you have questions, I think think you should have the ability to send us a question down on the bottom. There are buttons and there is one call chat and you can go ahead and use that and send a question uh, to uh, where it says down on the bottom. It says send to and you should be able to send that to me. Like I said, we're still trying to figure this out. But uh, Scott, also with uh, the wide receiver position, talk a little bit about what's going on there. Troy Franklin is a guy that Washington um, has been in on for a long, long time. Now he's saying, you know, that he's interested in Oregon. What are you seeing with uh, with with Troy Franklin? Well, he's been interested in Oregon for a long time, and he visited them the last weekend before the shutdowns all started happening. So um, I think that's one reason why a lot of people think that he's destined to become a duck and and fine that's fine for them to to believe that i've i've heard other news you know and it doesn't mean that mine's necessarily 100 percent right and or theirs is 100 percent right it could be both and he might just say hey i'm not going to make my decision for a while and and that if that's true that'll be the case by the way troy franklin is a wide receiver 6'3, 6'4, 190 pounds 195 pounds from menlo atherton same high school as daniel hamuli and noah nagalu and um you know, Washington has done really good job of recruiting him. I think if Chris Peterson was still here, he'd already be committed to the University of Washington. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't like Jimmy Lake or, or any of that stuff. But when you have a proven commodity like Chris Peterson, who's widely regarded as the top five coach 
in the country. He's already established the Built for Life program at the University of Washington, and he loved the the program that Washington had installed. And then he's gone. Even if it's a guy that was kind of his protege, you're still going to go, wait a second, I'm not 100% in like I was maybe before. So um, I have him crystal balled to Washington, but that was before I did that before the shutdowns happened. So um, I thought he would have committed by at to the University of Washington by the end of April at the uh, I expected him to commit at the um, uh, spring game They're They're going to build a lot a big recruiting weekend around that that spring game. And with that not happening, hey, maybe my my prediction ends up being wrong. But everything I've heard is that Washington still uh, is in the lead or they're right there with Oregon with just a slight lead. And um, and a lot of it's going to come down to his comfort level with it with uh, the new I don't know who the new is it uh, book Knight is the new wide receiver coach down there at um, at Oregon and and then Adams up here. Um, it's just going to depend on their 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 his relationship with those guys and, and then crystal ball and Lake. Hey, Chris, you've been around a long time and, you know, a lot of people talk about the importance of players at schools or other recruits commit, uh, you know, recruiting commits, recruiting for them to get them to the school. And I don't, I think that it's grossly overplayed by a lot of hands. It doesn't mean a lot, but I think that the one commit in every class that probably has the most impact specifically on the offensive side and skill guys as quarterbacks. Washington's got the best quarterback in the country and Sam Heward, uh, you know, tell people a little bit about how a guy like Sam Heward could impact recruiting. Well, I think he already has impacted recruiting. Um, you know, here's a kid who committed on uh, the morning of the Apple cup, the 2018 Apple cup. Um, so he's been consciously committed for a very long time. Um, you know, he's, he's a, he's just a, a legacy guy. Almost eight o'clock, baby. His dad is, um, uh-uh, I gotta get up at four fifty. Oh, I don't know who's un- <laughs> unmuted. That, whoever that is. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm make sorry, sure everybody is muted. Please make sure you're muted. Somebody's talking over us. Yeah. So anyways, I mean, but his, you know, his dad, obviously is Damon Heward and, you know, was a, was a big legacy guy. He's also still a fixture at Washington very much. So. And so his his name is known. I mean, he's just a guy that's he he doesn't go out there. He's not promoting himself. He's not he doesn't have a brand that he's trying to sell, but he does have uh, a lot of staying power. And the fact that he was the first guy to commit to the twenty twenty one class, um, he's been a guy that that has been out on the seven on seven circuit for a long time with Ford Sports. And so he's played with a lot of these guys. He played with the Jalen McMillans. You know, he's played with some of these other players. And so he can have a big impact. Now, again, I also think it, it it is a little overblown in terms of, you know, a guy's importance and his ability to sway other recruits. I remember, you know, Nick Kalepo a couple of years ago was kind of the ringleader of that particular class, that 2000, what was it, 2018, 2019 class, whatever that was. And, you know, so, I mean, he was very much – a big social networking presence, especially on Twitter. Sam Hewitt's not going to be that kind of guy, but what he is going to be is he's going to be a guy that every time you're on campus, those types of things, he'll be there because his dad's there all the time. So he will be an ever-present guy. And again, as the quarterback, just naturally, as you talked about, Kim, that is a guy that people will rally around. And whether he's a big vocal, 
huge kind of, um, you know, a type personality, alpha male, all that, that's one thing. But I think with Sam, what you're getting is you're getting a real cool customer, a guy that doesn't get rattled, a guy that will command the huddle. And then when he says things, people are listening to him because he has a track record as a winner and a guy who gets things done. So he may do things a little different way. And he's not going to be that real gregarious, extroverted guy out there on the recruiting trail, but he will be available and he's going to let it you know, be known how much he loves Washington and how he wants to be guys around guys that feel the same way. I don't know if you you guys might remember the name. I'm not going to say the name, but Scott and Chris, do you remember the uh, the big gregarious offensive lineman that was calling everybody? I can't remember who the big time recruit was, but uh, at one point he actually called the coaches and said, yeah, have them stop calling me. It's not helping. Do you remember that conversation? Uh, no. Maybe. Not really, but maybe. I'll tell you off the air, but you'll, you'll both laugh, but um, I know who the big time recruit was. I remember who that was. Okay. Um, also just a reminder, we do have a chat feature and uh, just down at the bottom, there's a bubble down below. I don't know where it's at because my screen looks a little bit different, but if you guys want to send us a question and we've got a couple of those in that uh, we will get to, um, Scott, somebody wanting to know uh, chances with, um, is it Wyndon? What's his, how do you pronounce Ho -oh it? Ho-Oh-Huli. Ho-Oh-Huli. Uh, Ho-Oh-Huli. Ho okay, if you say so. we I remember talking about him several times last year on the show during recruiting season. But um, is, first of all, was is he this is he a guy playing the same position as Julian Simon was projected? And uh, where do they stand with him? Well, no, because Washington eventually switched uh, Simon to running back and told him that's where they wanted him to play, even though they knew that's where he didn't want to play once he got to college. So take that for what it is. Anyway, um, yes, he is a middle linebacker at the University of Washington in the University of Washington. It's fine. So. Okay. Uh, I mean, what, what else did you what else were you asking? Uh, just where do they stand with him? And uh... sorry, um, they're they're in really good shape with him. Last I heard was uh, he's pretty tight with uh, um, Ikaika Malloy, who's got a former relationship with his with his dad. And I think Washington's doing really really well with him. And they need to get him back up on campus. I think if they can get him up on, up on campus this this uh, uh, summer, then um, they've got a great chance of reeling him in before the season. But I think that uh, he's probably going to have to take some visits. So you're asking which prospect jump in the boat and help get momentum with other guys going. I'm not sure I understand this momentum thing. So it seems to be something that a couple guys have. Well, it's it's something that's been created by people on the internet, on um, Twitter and social media, who think that one one recruit is going to just start this huge momentum thing and. That's kind of been their little man. That's not mean. It's not really the way it works. Um, I will say yeah, that, give them the answer that they want, though, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if you got if the Huskies were able to reel in Emeka Egbuka and or uh, JT Two Malau, obviously that would give them a huge amount of momentum. It, I don't think it would get other recruits in the boat, but it might get other people to start going, "Oh, what's going up and on up at the University of Washington? How are they getting these?" Big time guys who we knew were or we thought were leaning toward going out of state. And um, right now, everything that I'm hearing about JT2 Malau is Washington's made up a ton of ground with him. And they might not be even, 
but I think they're right there in the mix for him. And I've, I've always kind of thought they were, but I thought he was a heavy Ohio State lean. I don't think he's that anymore. Um, I think Washington, USC, Ohio State, it's be- it's almost better for Washington that wa- USC is getting more involved because I think Washington ends up winning that if it's a three-way battle. If it's head-to-head against Ohio State, I man, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. As far as Mecca, you know, I, it's still, you know, Washington and Ohio State and Clemson a little bit. Um, I don't see him going anywhere else than those three. Hey, and Chris, you've been around a while and you've seen this numerous, numerous times. I started to get recruited. They seem to be infatuated. They know the hometown school so well, you know, and then all of a sudden they start getting recruited by some big time out of state schools and became infatuated with that. But so many times, so many times, they always come back and, you know, they come back around and all said and done, they wind up back home. Uh, And you've seen it numerous times. I have. I mean, this last cycle, you could talk about Savelle Smalls. I mean, I wrote a story about it this last week about how Savelle, by this time last year, was not even looking at Washington. He had made up his mind that he was going to go somewhere else. He wanted to leave the city. And over time, after the coaches kind of gave him space to think about things and he was interested in kind of coming back and kind of revisiting it, that's when Chris Peterson made a sales pitch and it was a winning pitch. So, yeah, I mean, I look at it, I I talk about it in terms of a clock. And if you start your recruitment at 12 o'clock high, by the time you get to the point, you know, maybe a year from signing day or what have you, Those guys might be down at the bottom of the hour where they're about as far away from their original recruitment as they thought. And now all of a sudden they've got everybody in their heads making their pitch, telling them you got to visit here. You got to come to set, you know, Friday night lights in Florida, or you got to go to USC. You got to check out what Oregon's doing. You got to go to Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio state. They got all these guys coming at them. And then literally by the time the clock goes all the way back up to 12, They've gone full circle, literally and figuratively. And that's, that's, that's usually how it's gone for, for a lot of these guys. I just remember Paul Arnold's recruitment. It was UCLA, Notre Dame, and Washington. And uh, he went to UCLA. I can't remember all the stars that he was introduced to. He thought that was pretty cool, but he was really enamored on at Notre Dame. And uh, that was back when you sent private planes after you. But uh, Paul, when he landed in South Bend, Indiana, Chris, he hated the cold. He didn't want to get off the plane. He said he's never been so cold in his life, and you knew then and there. He wasn't going to Notre Dame. He wasn't going to UCLA. He was coming to Washington. Back in the day, he was a pretty big, uh, big-time big recruit for uh, Rick Neuheisel. So, um, t- t- by the way, Chris, did I, did I tell you I was chatting? I was texting with Reggie last week, recruiting, and I told him they no longer will land a seaplane. He planted Chris Peterson's house with his wife waiting with freshly baked chocolate chip cookies coming out. And then he goes, now you make me hungry. Coach News wife. Remember when Susan Neuheisel would wait for him? Cookies out of the oven. Love or hate Rick. Had some things dialed. Those were, the, those were the days where you could, where you had unlimited budgets. And, you know, Oregon, for instance, could recruit a kid from Chicago. They could fly a private jet out from Eugene all the way to Chicago, go pick a kid up at a private airport, bring him in back in by himself. And it would be stocked with like 
pop and snacks and girls game boys or whatever <laughs> i mean it basically it, it was a free-for-all it was literally the wild west do you remember massey washington but he uh they've come get him Nike jet remember that one i don't know you're cutting in and out i can't sorry sorry just remember chris massey you know they oregon offered to take him on the uh, nike jet and uh you know he's they want to send a lear jet for me i'm going and he got there and he did they were pretty pissed off at him. So. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. If you have any more questions, just that chat button down below. Just kind of take down. Uh, look for the chat. You can send us a question. But he's uh, asking about DB recruiting. Scott, what does it look like right now? Uh, it's kind of confusing at this point. I mean, um, one one thing I did do some digging on is Sia Wright, the uh, athlete out of Loyola High School, who is the teammate of Zakari Spears, who's already committed to the University of Washington as a defensive back who many believe to be a better athlete than uh, Zakari Spears. I do know that Washington has kind of picked things up with him a little bit and started recruiting him a little bit harder. And they're still kind of evaluating him and, and kind of seeing some things. And I think they also want to see what shakes out with some of these decommits. Cause I think there's some other guys they have a little bit higher on their board right now. And uh, one thing that people said to me about, um, I asked about, uh, you know, see it right. And one person just said, look, he's a heck of an athlete, but there's uh LA tough and there's orange County tough and see right. Might have a stigma on him of being orange County tough. If that, if yeah, that's people could understand that. So uh, just a little bit different uh, mental makeup than they're maybe looking for at, at that position. But um, as far as, you know, safety, they're looking at uh, J.D. Coffey, who I think is a Texas lean at this point. Texas has been up to the University of Washington. His mom is a huge fan of the University of Washington, but she's willing to support him wherever he wants to go. And if he stays at Texas, then he's much closer to home. But uh, as far as corner and things like that, I still think they're, they're going to keep recruiting Philip Riley, who uh, is out of Florida, but he's from – uh, the state of the state of Washington. He he lived in Coma up until his freshman year of high school. Uh, played his freshman year at Lakes and then transferred. So um, talented kid, and I think they they're gonna stay on him. I think they'll stay on Stephen Ortiz. We'll see if because he was ready to commit to them and they weren't ready to take it. So um, you know we'll we'll see on that. Um, I think a lot of it's you're gonna see the board shake out a little bit. I think uh, there's some guys committed to other schools that Washington's recruiting and talking to, and those names aren't coming out quite yet just because of uh, you know, they don't want uh, these other schools to put the kibosh on things. So we'll just have to wait and see. That's kind of where things stand. They have one commit, they're probably gonna take at least uh, well, they're definitely taking at least two and very likely to take three more guys. Chris, like I said, you've been doing this a long time. When you take a look at the corners that uh, and safeties that Jimmy Lake has recruited, there's been times in the past where they've recruited some finesse corners that didn't like to tackle. But, you know, Scott mentions Orange County tough versus, you know, Los Angeles tough. And, you know, one thing about 
corners that he's brought in. Even a guy like Miles Bryant isn't the biggest guy. Byron Murphy, not the biggest guy, but come up and knock you on your ass. I mean, can you recall it? Uh, Defensive back that Jimmy Lake has recorded that hasn't wanted to stick those in there, and even Austin Joyner, you know, light you up. Well, I was going to say the local kids that he's picked up, whether it was Buddha Baker or Taylor Rapp, um, you know, Austin Joyner. You mentioned obviously we haven't seen enough of a guy like Isaiah Gilchrist yet, but um, I don't ever remember Isaiah even at, when he was at Bellevue as being a guy that necessarily shied away from a lot of contact. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's part and parcel of it. They're a physical team. That's been a part of their identity. That was that was their identity under Chris Peterson, and I don't think that's going to change under Jimmy Lake at all. In fact, if anything, the the thing is he might even get to be more physical because now all of a sudden you've got a head coach that wants to bring things from a defensive mindset, which is almost inherently a little bit more physical. Um, so at least at least that would be the perception. So. And from what you've seen, you know, uh, tell me some of the DBs that you like out there that bring that physicalness. Oh, well, I mean, one thing I like Zakari Spears physicality and, and what he brings, he's the guy that's already committed to them. He's about six, two, he's 175, 180 pounds. And I think that Washington has uh, really got a gem in him. And, and I know that uh, he's a guy that they really liked when they offered him because of the fact that he can play different positions. He can project at safety. He can project at corner. He can project at a lot of different positions. Obviously, uh, Jalen Smith out of uh, Bishop Alamany down there, he's only 5'11", but he plays a little bit bigger than 5'11", 180 pounds. And Washington likes him a lot. I know they're right in the mix for him. He's a four-star down there. He's got a lot of other schools looking at him. Denzel Burke, that's the other guy that they're really in the mix for. And, and he could be a, uh, a safety at the next level. Six foot, 190 pounds. He's out of Saguaro, which is where Washington has had a lot of success. Byron Murphy uh, a couple classes ago. Jacoby Covington last year and uh, will show up this summer. So, um, you know, Washington's in the mix for some 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 pretty talented guys at those different positions. But uh, I think, like I said, a lot of stuff is going to have to kind of shake out before we really, we really see and know where things are going. From Aaron that I wrote, because uh, he's asking Hornbeak or Cardwell, which one is a better fit? And you can not only answer the question, Scott, but, you know, maybe Chris chime in. People under, got to understand just about talent. Fit. Which one? Do you like better? Which one of them is a better fit? I think I like uh, Cardwell a little better because of his, because of his speed, but uh, Hornbeek isn't slow, and he runs the way Keith Bonifa and Washington like their guys to run, which is he just gets downhill. He gets north-south pretty quickly. I like Caleb Berry a lot, the running back out of Texas, but if I had to have my choice, I'd probably take Byron Cardwell, but the nice thing is Washington doesn't have to choose. I think they could take one or two of those backs. Chris, tell me about, uh, or tell everybody out here, you've been around and you've seen it, you know, where they've passed on guys because they just don't fit. How important when we're talking about recruiting is fit? What does that mean? Well, first of all, how many times are you going to tell me that I've been around a long time? I'm just trying to make you feel as old as I am. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I feel pretty old right now with as many times as you've remarked on how long i've been doing this but it doesn't take away from well you are older you are older than me yeah no i'm not but it doesn't take away from the fact that 
I have been doing this a while, and fit is everything to the staff. I mean, when it, when it was Chris Peterson, he would talk about fit. When they talked about culture, it was all about fit. And when it comes to recruiting and evaluating, it's all about fit. And a lot of people probably think that the evaluation process begins and ends with what happens on the field, but that's literally half of it. What happens on the other half, the stuff that's off the field, is your academics, is, you know, talking to counselors, talking to family members, talking to best friends, talking to other teachers, talking to people that would know you and can vouch for your character and your personality and how hard you, you work and how, 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 how much do you want it? I remember, you know, back in the day, we can, we can invoke the, um, the, uh, the, the 10 tough questions of Don James and, and Coach Baird. You know, they, they would always have a list of questions that they would go to that were basically kind of their litmus test on whether or not a player was a good fit for the University of Washington at that time. And right at the very top, it was like, you know, are you tough? Will you, would you quit? Um, you know what? I mean, just whatever the, 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 when they say 10 tough questions, they're literally the 10 questions that it's basically, you know, blank or get off the pot. You, you have to explain yourself. You have to be real about it. And those guys, they're BS detectors. That's what they do for a living. That their Chris, job is to figure out which guys are the ones that are the best fit for them. And they would use that to determine which guys seem to kind of pass that test. And Chris, we've seen this so many times where coaches talk about fit and then they don't really recruit to fit. We've seen coaches here. We see coaches in other areas. They take one of those, two of those, one of those, and I hope the chemistry works. But, you know, one thing is what Chris Peterson got here. I mean – I'd say that Chris Peterson's team, and I, I'm pretty sure that Jimmy Lake's teams, they're all going to be on the same page. You know, PJ Fleck, row the boat, you know, but, uh, you know, I'm seeing that they still want the fit and talent isn't good enough, and they will pass on talent if it's not a fit, where other staffs would strictly go after talent and hope that it works. Maybe this is a different way of putting it, but I think there's two ways when it comes to college football and how you build culture around your program. And that's either inside out or outside in. And I think with Steve Sarkeesian, it was kind of like, and again, I'm not judging it. I'm just kind of explaining it based on my experience and how I kind of perceived how they went about doing this is that it, it felt like the end result was the most important thing, which fans are going to say, of course, that's wins and losses. And Steve Sarkeesian was like, okay, if winning is the end result, we got to figure out how to get there. Whereas Chris Peterson was more like an outside-in guy, or excuse me, an inside-out guy, where he would build the culture from scratch, create the nucleus, and then that culture would permeate in everything they did so that when you played the football game, the winning should become the byproduct of all the work and the culture that's been installed at that particular program. And so, and I assume that Jimmy Lake's going to do the exact same thing. He's going to continue that that kind of inside-out culture, where you know the the built for life and all the things that we've talked about ad nauseum for years and years and years with these guys. That's what kind of makes them unique, and maybe what separates themselves. And that's why you hear it so much in the recruiting trail on how they've tried to recruit guys that fit that mold, you know, okay, again, the OKGs and all those kind of guys that, that they're looking for, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the guys that create that core year in and year out 
so that when they do everything the right way and they work hard at practice and they're they're working smarter, not harder, and they're doing all the things right, then come Saturdays, winning should just become the byproduct of all that. It only takes a couple of guys to be disruptive that can ruin an entire program, you know, just, you know, I've seen it classroom with my kids you know where they had kids that were just out of control that ruined everything but if you've got a couple of guys that are sucking 90 percent of the resources of the of the coaches off the field you know it's it's just you know it's like they say 10 percent of the people are going to cause you 90 percent of your problems you're better off without them and even if they're talented you know and when i was in real estate a long time you know i turned away a lot of people because i mean you just knew how much work they were going to be it's just it's just not worth it it's just not and i think it's the same thing with football I mean, Scott, you've seen guys that are just, you know, are going to be a handful and that's just not going to work. It's just not. Yeah. They have to fit your culture. That's the biggest thing. Hey, uh, one final question before we get out of here. Um, is there any 21 kids in state that have not received offers that we might anticipate seeing being offered? Uh, the, the two that I mentioned were, um, the line, the two linemen, the two bigger linemen from the state that don't have offers, William Reed, uh, an offensive tackle from, uh, Eastside Catholic, who is coached by the way, by Dom Doste, former Husky offensive. He was an offensive lineman, right? He was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he taught offensive line at, uh, Eastside Catholic. And then, um, the other one is I always screw up his last name, but Coley, Fayu, Fayu, or however you say it, um, the kid from North Creek High School up there in Bothell. Uh, he's about 6'4", 300 pounds, very strong. Um, and I could see either one of those guys getting an offer. Now, the thing is, you know, you talk to a few people and they were like, yeah, those guys, if they had hit the camp circuit, they probably would have gotten a lot more offer. They already have a, a decent amount of offers between the two of them. I know Coley has an offer from Michigan, I think, and so does uh, William Reed, um, and there's a few other schools that are on them from the Pac-12. But uh, Washington wanted to get a look at them up close in camp, and it sounds like uh, that's not going to happen. So there you go. I mean, that's kind of why just all these shutdowns have been really hard on them. I'm not here to argue about whether they should have shut down or not, but uh, it's really hurting the recruiting game, and I know it's about more than that, but – you know, that's one of the ancillary effects is is recruiting and these kids that would earn offers or had chances to earn offers and they're not going to be able to um, if uh, they don't have camps. First one in the books. Didn't oh, go to Real quick, Kim, I had a quick question. Teray Williams from Kennedy Catholic. Scott, is there a chance? I'm not going to say no, but uh, there's a lot of off the field stuff with that kid. That's just, it's real tough and not, not anything to my knowledge. that's illegal. Just, it's just not a good situation with him off the field. And, and um, I'm not saying they're going to pass on him, but they offered the Beltre Jefferson kid out of Fresno. Who's basically the same player. And they chose to go out of state rather than offer the in-state guy. So there you go. Hour and a half in the books. Did it fly as fast as the radio show, you guys? We didn't have any commercial breaks. Yeah, and I couldn't. There's no vending machines for me to go go to in the middle of uh, stuff. So <laughs> there you go. No, no, twenty five cent sodas out in the lobby here. So yeah, well, you at the radio show. I also didn't have my three year old knocking on my door as he was doing during half of the show today. So you got to train him better. Remember, remember, I told you the difference between a three-year-old and a terrorist. Nothing. 
You can negotiate with the terrorists. So anyways, we appreciate you guys jumping on with us. Um, we'll try to do these more regularly. There's a few bugs that we're going to have to work out and figure out. But uh, for the first one, I think we did pretty well. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinnells, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs>